You know, we live in a day where it is possible that if you say the wrong thing, certainly if you do the wrong thing, but even if you express that you feel the wrong thing, you may quickly get canceled. There's an interesting term that has now been applied to the world in which you and I live. It's, it's called a cancel culture. Now, I want to be really clear in what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that there is no right and wrong. There is right and there is wrong. Our God defines that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand for what's right. We should. That's a part of salt and light. I'm not saying that there are not consequences for doing wrong. There are consequences for, for doing wrong. But, but I'm talking about a cancel culture that says, oh, you're really going to do that? You're really going to say that? That's how you see things? That's your position on this? Then you are canceled. Lines are drawn, very little nuance or patience. And honestly, we've gotten to the point that anything you've ever said or done, no matter how far in the past it is, and no matter how much you've changed since you said whatever you said, it can still be held against you. Very much an us or them very much of a for me or against me mentality. And here's the question I'm asking today. You know that's not right, right? Like, you know deep down there's something off with that when you put it up beside Jesus, right? And so the question is, how do we as Jesus followers keep from being swept away? This air is so toxic and our world is begging us to breathe it. So my question today is not, how do we keep from getting canceled? Because I need to let you know, if you're a Jesus follower, you might get canceled. But the question is, how do we as Jesus followers keep from becoming the cancelers? Those people who say, that's it, you did this thing, you said this thing, it's over for you, I will never pay attention to you again, I will never support you again, I will never listen to you again, you're canceled. In light of that, I want to thank you for listening today. I want to welcome Everybody at campuses today, I want to welcome um, those of you who are online. It is uh, a holiday weekend, and so lots of people are all over the place. And I'm grateful for the chance, though, that we can connect. Here's the text I want to show you today. I think God wants to show us something. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Here's the way it reads in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Check this out. When he saw 
the crowds. Now, I think sometimes we read those kind of phrases and we just go, okay, Jesus saw a few people. But I want to put a little context. I want to give you a broader glimpse of what leads up to this phrase. Chapter 9 of Matthew starts with Jesus stepping off of a boat into his hometown. And it says immediately he sees a paralyzed man. And he sees the faith of some people who are bringing that paralyzed man to Jesus. Not only does Jesus enable the man to walk again, but he also forgives his sin. What follows immediately is Jesus seeing some religious leaders. Now, these are religious leaders who are pushing back at Jesus, but you know what he does? He's willing to engage even their divisive conversation. He sees them. Then he sees Matthew, the writer of this gospel. He eats with Matthew, even though Matthew is a tax collector. Matthew is hated by the Jews, his own people. They think he sells them out because he takes taxes for Rome. Not only does Jesus see Matthew, but he sees all of Matthew's sinful buddies. He he has dinner with them all. After dinner, Jesus sees this synagogue leader who comes to him with a a daughter who has just died. Not only does Jesus miraculously raise the daughter from the dead, but on the way to her, Jesus sees a social outcast, a woman who has had a bleeding disorder for 12 years. Jesus heals her on the spot. He then sees two blind men who call out to him for mercy. He heals them. And as they are leaving, he sees a demon-possessed man being brought to him, and the demon is cast out. So now, look at the phrase again. (laughs) When he saw the crowds... I just I want you to get a little bit of what that means when Jesus saw on this day. This is Jesus, God among us, the God with healing in his wings, sight for the blind, concern for the poor and the oppressed and the outcast. He concerns himself with Jew and Roman, with the left and the right, with those who are powerful and those who are powerless, those who are religious and those who are irreligious. Here's my point. Jesus cancels no one. Jesus cancels no one. He saw them all. And I want to challenge us today who call ourselves Jesus followers if we want to become a people who are known not for internalizing and perpetuating this council, this cancel culture that's going on around us. It's going to start by seeing people like Jesus sees people. So how do you, how do you see? How do you see as Jesus sees? First question. We'll go back to verse 35, and I just think how simple it is. Here's what it says about how Jesus, how this works with him. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. 
It's like the, the point is wherever he goes, what Jesus sees is people. We have a way of wherever we go, we see, we see this activity, we, we see this task. That, but wherever Jesus goes, his priority is to see people. Where do you go that there are people? The answer is, well, for most of you in your house, there's people. Some of those people need to be seen. For most of us, you go to a job that has people. I realize that some of you are working at home right now, but even in your work, there is interaction with people. In your neighborhood, in your church, grocery store, park. The point is, just just about everywhere you go, there's people. And we go, but but come on, Jeff, we are, we are Jeff, COVID. And I would remind you today that just because somebody's wearing a mask and just because something exists called social distancing does not mean that you can't see people. In fact, a lot of us are learning right now that more than ever, there's a whole lot of people who are asking the question, does anybody see me? And it is prime territory. It is prime moments for us to ask, Jesus, will you help us see people like you see people? But Jesus doesn't just see them he takes it beyond that. Go to verse 36 again, and, and here's, what it, here's what it says next. When he saw the crowds, next phrase, he had compassion on them. So, so not only did Jesus see person after person after person, I mean, I, I read through Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going, what a day. What an amazing span of Jesus seeing person after person. But he doesn't just see. When he sees, it says he had compassion on them. It is an amazing word. This Greek word, I'm going to see if I can pronounce it for you. Splachnizomai. Splachnizomai. Don't try that until you're alone because I don't want you passing any particles, all right? Splachnizomai, that's the, that's the Greek word. It is, it is this amazing word in, in Scripture. It is the meaning of such a compassion that you feel it in your gut. That's what the word means. It is compassion to such a level. So sometimes I think when we think of the word compassion, it's sort of like, oh, that's so sad. But this word compassion that is attributed to Jesus, the word literally means to feel something so deeply that that it it is this gut-wrenching, stomach-turning feeling. This is the word that is most often used to describe the compassion that Jesus brings. He took time to see them, and when he saw them, He's moved with this deep in his gut compassion. But here's what's fascinating to me. What is is this compassion about? 
because it says they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's what's behind this this compassion. Now, now, I want to make this, how you see people has the potential to drastically change how you feel about them. How you see them drastically changes how you feel about them. And with Jesus, closeness brings clarity. As he gets close to each of these people, he he begins to see them in this light. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Closeness brings clarity. What we often experience is in a culture that prides itself in distancing, and I mean more than social distancing in terms of a virus, man. People, the, the further apart we are, it leads to a distortion and these broad stroke generalizations that we tend to make about people who may be a little bit different than we think we are. No, closeness brings clarity while distance brings distortion. So some might look at a tax collector like Matthew and say, really? Canceled. I'm telling you, every Jew in that day would look at Matthew. They were angry when they saw him. He worked for Rome and took their money from the Jews for his own selfishness. Canceled. And Jesus says, nope. Compassion. Compassion. Even Jairus' daughter, right? He comes to Jesus. This man, she's dead. She has taken her last breath. It's over. Canceled. And Jesus goes, not with me. Compassion. The blind, the lame, the mute, right? The, the disabled. And, and we have a way of going, no, there, is, there are some things that are just canceled. And, and Jesus goes, no, that there is compassion. Even the Pharisees, even these religious leaders, even the ones who push back at Jesus when he says something like your sins are forgiven, we say canceled. But Jesus demonstrates, no, compassion. Like a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's a Pharisee. So that whole for God so loved the world talk given to a Pharisee. Because when Jesus looks at this religious and we say legalist and we, we, we he goes, no, compassion. Jesus gets up close and he sees them with compassion because whatever situation they are in, he's saying, look, they're hurt. There's something behind What's going on in their lives? There's a reason that they treat people the way that they do, that they're hurt and and they are helpless, that they have no direction. They have no idea how to change who they are. Some of them are angry with who they are and so they take it out on everybody else. He goes, no, we're not gonna cancel. We're gonna demonstrate a compassion. And you say, well, that's a lot for Jesus to ask. Did he really deliver on that? And I present to you, A cross, a cross where his hands are nailed, 
a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. And while his thirst is eating away at him, and as he is suffocating, gasping for every single breath, the story we read from Scripture is that Jesus looks across that crowd and with a breath that changed my eternity. He said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. That is compassion. And my life has been forever changed because of the compassion that Jesus brings. That's much deeper than a, oh, poor guy. No, that's a sometimes tears outside the tomb of a loved one. It is weeping. It is intervention for the oppressed and the oppressive. This is the compassion Jesus feels when he looks at people. Here's what I want you to know. It is the compassion that Jesus feels when he looks at you. It is the compassion Jesus feels when he looks at you. Hmm. So how do we feel? Man, how do we feel like Jesus feels? I'm really convinced that sometimes the reason we don't feel that compassion like Jesus feels is not because we're incapable of it, but it might be for a lot of us, we are exhausted. (laughs) And the kind of exhaustion that I'm talking about is that I know of a lot of people who appear to be fatigued from taking in so much more information than they were ever made to bear. And I'm saying it prevents us sometimes, I think, from being able to to let the pain that we're actually called to bear go down deep enough. The point is we watch everything that goes on in the world around us. We live in a day that we can do that differently than we have ever been able to do before. You literally can hear every heartbreaking story across the globe. And what happens for many people is all day long they are absorbing stories after story after story that spans the globe and what happens is there's somebody hurting right under their own nose but they no longer have anything left to give because they have just expended all of the emotion and every and were just not meant to bear it I, there's a pastor by the name of uh, Kenneth Tanner who wrote something not too long ago that I'm just, I'm going to read it to you. This, this clicked with me when, when I read it. Here's what he said. Amid all, the hard new, no, <laughs> amid all the hard news from around the world and at home, remember, you were not built for omniscience. You weren't built to handle all this. You cannot take it all in. You cannot bear it all. 
Only the human who is also God can carry the weight. That's Jesus, by the way. So here's his advice. Turn off the broadcast news programs. Unplug talk radio. Close the social media platforms. Stop looking at it and taking in all the pictures. Contemplate. Listen. Have conversations with those nearby you. And then do what the Spirit and your conscience directs you to do, to do your part to alleviate the suffering, to rebuild, and to invite the kingdom to come here and now on earth as it is in heaven. I love that. Here's his point. He's not saying bury your head in the sand and don't know what's going on. That's not his point. He's not saying ignore the issues across the globe. That's not the point. But the point is, you got to recognize this is an invitation to recognize your limits. You have limits. There's only so much that your heart can absorb. Sometimes you got to unplug from the distant things that you cannot do anything about so that you can plug into the things that are right next to you that God wants you to pour out your life for. You got to unplug in order to plug in. Man, how often do you feel this kind of deep compassion? Jesus seemed to experience it all the time, and I think there was a reason. It's because no matter how busy Jesus seems to be, whoever is right in front of him, he's with them. You notice that? Like no matter how busy he is, whoever is right in front of him, he's with them. So yeah, he's on the way. To, to deal with a daughter who has just died, but on the way, this woman with the, with the issue of, of, of blood is right in front of him, and what does he do? He's with her. He has this amazing way that no matter how chaotic things are around him, whoever is in front of him, and he's with them. And he could see them as sheep without a shepherd. This world is in entirely too much pain for the people of God to be numb. You hearing me? Our world, including our neighbors, are in too much pain for us to be completely numb. So we gotta learn to tune into where we are, which might mean you gotta tune it out where you're not. And what you'll find is you'll start to see people as Jesus sees people, and in turn, you will start to feel as he feels. Mm. And then he concludes like this, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I'm going to admit to you that for many, many, many years, I've heard this verse. Um, I grew up in church, and so, I mean, I... I this is another one of those I've heard it more times than I could count. And what, I, what tends to come into my mind when I read this kind of text, right, we need more workers in the field. And here's what I know. Typically, 20% of the church does 80% of the work. Typically, 20% of the church tends to give 80% of the resources. 
T- typically, a small section of who, people who call themselves Jesus followers tend to be. The, and so my, we read this text and we just want to go, can't you see the mission? Can't you see the need? Come on, sign up. That there is work to be done. How do we get more people to move out of the stands and onto the playing field? And I'm saying to you that when we do that, I think, at least for me, I was missing two important components that Jesus said. And the first component that I would tend to miss is compassion. Because we typically go straight to this harvest verse and we don't read what's right in front of it. What Jesus just laid out was this picture of compassion. We need people who are willing to see people like Jesus sees people, which means they are willing to feel what Jesus feels. That's, that's what we need in people in the harvest. You see what I'm saying? That's different than just going, come on, sign up for the task. No, he's not saying just sign up and get the work done. He's saying, come on, we need people who will see people and we need people who will have a gut, deep compassion that loves these people. This is not about accomplishing a task without a love. No, this is, this is doing what Jesus did because you love like he loves. Okay, well, how does that happen, Jeff? How do you, really, how does that happen? And that's the second piece that I think I tend to miss. Let's read it again. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You ready? Ask the Lord. Can I tell you how many times I've read this passage and how many times I tend to just blow right by those three words? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay, the need is great. The world is in pain. There's work to be done. And I'm going, okay, let's mobilize and let's strategize and let's rally the troops and let's cast some vision. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Here's what you do. Pray. I want you to ask the Lord of the harvest. Now, yeah, mobilizing is is a part of what's going to unfold and strategy is a part of what's going to unfold. Rally the troops, cast the vision. That's a part of what's going to unfold. But where Jesus starts here is pray. And not enough can be said about that. Pray, 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 and then pray some more, right? To the Lord of the harvest, because here's here's the reality. Jeff, you need to pray, because this is not your work, it's his. Jeff, you need to pray because these are not your fields, they're his. Jeff, you need to pray because this is not you who's sending, it's his. So here's my confession to you today. As a pastor, 
this is ridiculously hard for me. And the reason is, is because I want to be the voice of the shepherd who's saying to people, come on, can't you see this? Can't you like stop for just one second of all the self-indulgence that, that we are a part of in this world and just feel the pain of the people around you, right? I, I want to be that voice. And this text is the continual corrective for me to remember Jeff, you don't make anybody move. You get to point people to Jesus and pray. (laughs) Point people to Jesus and pray. So hear me when I say this. Sometimes I get tired. I do. And I bet some of you do too. If you're a part of that group of people that pour it out on a regular basis, sometimes you get tired when people are asked to join the mission and the response is too busy. And I bet some of you get tired when you hear that. Because you're like, come on, won't you help me? Come on, won't you help me? Man, there's so much to be done and these these fields are ripe for harvest. And it's like, you you get tired when you hear that. And sometimes I grow frustrated when... I'm watching the evidence of people's lives, their resources, their time, their energy reveals that they have a passion for the things of this world that outweigh the the passion for the things of God. I get frustrated, and I bet some of you do too. And sometimes I wonder if people really want to see people or they'd actually rather not see people because there's a part of them that knows there's a feeling that comes when they actually see people and they don't, they, don't, they don't want to invest that level. So sometimes I get tired and sometimes I grow frustrated and sometimes I wonder. And then when I am alone and when I am honest, I feel all of those same frustrations about myself and sometimes God has to show me my busyness and sometimes God has to show me my misplaced passion and sometimes God has to show me my lack of compassion so here's what I'm doing out of this week's text I am praying for you And I am praying for me. Here's why. Because God is better than me at handling our issues of business and busyness. I'm going to remind you, he can make you not busy if he needs to. We'll just, let's give it to him. So I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me. Because God is better than me at realigning our passion. He is. And he has a way beyond any of us of showing us, hey, this thing that you are investing all your life in, man, it is so temporary. It is not bringing you joy and peace. He is better at that than any of us. So I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me because God is better than me at making us see correctly so that we can feel correctly, so that we can act correctly. 
Because I know, I know that there are many of you who actually are like me in that you really do want to love Jesus with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. You do. You don't want to just try to use him to get what you want. Even, even using him like every once in a while, Jesus, just empower me to do something good so I can feel better about myself, right? No, that's not the kind of life I want with him. I want to love him with every breath that the compassion in my life is not just something that I I pick and choose at a certain moment because I want to feel better about me. No, I really want to love like Jesus loves. And so I want to see people like he sees. I want to feel like his heart feels. So I'm saying, here's the warning. I'm turning you over to him and I'm turning me over to him. It's the best thing that we all could do, that Jesus will open our eyes to see how he sees, open our hearts to feel how he feels, move us to do as he does because there's work to be done. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, but our God is faithful to send his laborers into the harvest. And the greatest news, because I've seen him do it before, he could change my heart. And he can change yours. Our prayer today becomes God. Give us your heart. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to actually sing a song that's that request to God. So just kind of see this all as one. I'm, I'm going to start it, and then our song's just going to sort of become the second part of this prayer to where we just say, God, will you do this in us? I thank you guys for listening today. Let's pray. God, we don't want to be a part of breathing in the fumes of a toxic cancel culture. God, we don't want to be a part of seeing some circumstances and some people, and yes, there may be wrong. And no, we may not be able to agree. But God, we don't want our heart to go toxic to where that causes us to just give up on all people and stop believing in this truth that we declare, God, you are the God who raises the dead. And that's not just physical, but that's even our heart. Jesus, I thank you for not giving up on me. And I thank you for the stories across the campuses today, the stories throughout the the, the homes and the places where we listen in together today. God, thank you for not giving up on us. There would be story after story where the world would say canceled, but God, you didn't cancel us. So God, instead of us breathing in a toxic cancel culture, You breathed into us forgiveness and hope. 
And God, today I'm asking that out of what we've studied, out of what we've read, out of what we've seen in you, God, that you would breathe through our lives that same message of forgiveness and hope. That you would teach us this week to see people. And that this week, you would open our heart to feel. And this week, you would move our lives to act. God, our prayer is that you will give us your heart. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.